there is this research that needs to be done when you're thinking about how and where you want to operate a business. Not only are we curating the best a city has to offer, but we're creating our own original content around it. The weird thing about entrepreneurship is people think that to be an entrepreneur, you sort of have to like jump up on the table, kick a stapler across the room, and then say, I quit. I think that most people that start a small business don't want to be a small business forever. I know I don't. I wish more people would just ask, like, why can't I do stuff like Good morning. Welcome to Your Business Matters. I'm your host, Mark Hager. Thanks for taking some time to join us this week again. I am joined today by Daryl Starr and Michael Berger from Little Engine Ventures in Lafayette, Indiana. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning, hey, Mark. Good How are you? I'm doing well. Morning, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so, glad to be here. Little Engine Ventures. Let's just go ahead and, and prime the audience a little bit. Talk, just tell us what is Little Engine, and then we can get into some more of the specifics. Sure. Um, I'll take a stab at it, Mark. This is Daryl here. Yes. And I uh, appreciate you having us on. And uh, yeah, Michael and I have been uh, colleagues for kind of 10 years prior, working on uh, lots of different things. I had a business practice as an entrepreneur, buying lots of different businesses and um, transformed those into software as a service business, had an exit in 2014, and then kind of came up for air and started looking around and realize that there's a lot of baby boomers that don't have exit plans. And we kind of like to practice what we preach. So we figured with some friends and families, uh, we put together an investment partnership and go try to buy some businesses and operate them well for a indefinite time period. So that's a little engine in a nutshell. Um, so yeah, Michael, anything else you can add to that? Yeah, I think, well, I think the, it's the that kind of opportunity that we see. Um, you know, Daryl describes himself. If you want to go back into his background, you know, as that you know entrepreneur, the kid on the school bus, um, and I'm like not that guy. Um, I started my first business right out of college because I uh, just didn't like any of the job options that I had, and I had the way I got a software background, and so okay. I had some ideas for how I wanted to write software and uh, work with one of my professors that I liked, and so. You know, he and I started our first business, but neither one of us were, were business guys. And I think that's also what helped us see some of these opportunities. A lot of these small businesses exist not because of how the textbooks say you should start a business, right? They, <laughs> they, so they kind of fell into it. Um, and so and then they don't really have a plan for how to get out of it either. But now all of a sudden people depend on these businesses. Their employees depend on it. Their right. employees, sometimes they're family members or they become like family members. You know, they, they go to their employees' weddings. They buy, you know, presents when their kids are born. Um, you know, I've, I've done all those things, right? And so, but where's this, where, where's a plan off? And we could get into, if we want to, we could get into the reasons why I think that is banking regulations, um, yeah. types of we'll, businesses. We'll get around there. there. You know what? Like, I want to interrupt you though, because I want to go back to one thing you just said. You said the kid on the school bus entrepreneur. What does that mean? <laughs> Daryl, you yeah, tell that. <laughs> yeah, that's part of my story. So, um, I grew up on a farm in East Central Indiana, and it was five miles to the nearest bank, which I knew that because I had to figure that out in order to take my bicycle, head into town to open up a checking account. Once I get there, the banker calls my dad and says, hey, uh, Brad, uh, your son's here and wants to open that checking account. He's like, what? <laughs> and uh, he's like, sure, go for it. Well, 
uh, I don't know if you guys remember BMG Music. Probably do. Some people do. But this is like a mail order CD catalog Absolutely. type of arrangement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I was breaking some, you know, uh, rules of the game there. But I started ordering, you know, CDs and uh, taking orders and selling them on the school bus at a marked up price because I had, you know, classmates ah. with lunch money and a desire for music. So one way to solve that is put your... Uh, put your you know okay investor hat on business see. owner entrepreneur hustle and yeah. go take their lunch was it, yeah. there's the... always been a guy that asked for uh forgiveness not permission so <clears> okay <throat> so you were in the music distribution business <laughs> yeah so yeah, i want to i want to frame the timing on this were these it, um it, well, that, it, were they eight tracks like cassettes 90s. or cds uh cds so, oh okay um, so you're young like 93 <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I was I was born in 1980, so you know, CDs were a new thing. But we were okay. all asking for CD players, you know, for Christmas. And I so see. Forth, and nobody had any CDs yet. Right. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't play that same ploy, but had I done it, it would have been eight track tapes. Just so you know, just for a little frame <laughs> yeah. of reference. No, it's, there. It's, the, it's the same principle. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, you know, you talk about industries, too, that get wiped out, right? I mean, the, the music industry has changed so much, and music distribution oh, is like fascinating, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's a business where as soon as everybody got their license, like, my market disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had to evolve. And I had a grocery delivery business as soon as I turned 16. Okay. And that didn't make any money. There was no margin in it, so it ended promptly. And... uh yeah, just one thing after another. Those are Worked great my lessons. my way through school. Yeah, own stuff through college and just uh, interesting times. Yeah, yeah. And great lessons to be had in there, um, you know, so the the cost of the education. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I never really knew any different. You know, my dad and, uh, was very kind of business-minded uh, as a farmer yes. and just kind of imparted these lessons about, you know, uh, patience and kind of suffer now for benefit later sort of thing and learned that method uh, really from, from birth. So been yeah. practicing it since I had any sort of capital to work with. <laughs> right. Okay. So you, you saw this opportunity um, in the marketplace uh, with these existing businesses that don't really have any kind of transition plan or at least a limited transition plan. Sure. But, okay. That's fair. Um, so, Michael, let's go back to your the point that you had made and um, why why don't people have transition plans in place? Mm, sure. Well, I think there's I think I would say there's a couple of um, different reasons. Now. One for the si- this is also for the size of businesses that we're that we're looking at. So we kind of mm-hmm. target stuff with one to ten million dollars of revenue, okay. um, and businesses in that that typically get to to that size. You know, they've got a staff of maybe somewhere five, maybe more like 10 to 25, 25 people. But at that at that size of business, the the owner operator thing is very real. So the the owner of the business um, is also working in the business. And again, my experience is the these business owners, they, they didn't start out to be a business owner like Daryl. They started off to do a thing. So. Um, whatever their whatever their craft is and so they love doing their craft they love working in their business and they sort of put up with running payroll or sending invoices or you know filing federal taxes or whatever um 
just so that they can do their thing and also work with the people that they want to work with. Um, and so they, they get so focused of working in the business, they forget to work on the business and they love what they do. And they're also independent enough that they're like, I mean, they don't really think about that. They wouldn't ever want to do this because they enjoy it. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they will gripe and complain about their business um, all day long, but it's out of love, right? Kind of a, kind of a complaining. And so succession planning just isn't really on their, their top priority. They're always feel like, I know my businesses, I always felt like, man, we're way too busy, but in six months, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Right. So, um, and they, they're kind of that mentality or that living in that structure forces you into relatively short-term thinking, not, not like what's happening tomorrow, but okay, how are the next one or two years? And they always kind of feel like I'm one or two years out. Um, and then I'll figure out, you know, someday if I don't want to work until it, in my experience is typically a spouse or somebody else that says like, could we like see you, you know, again, <laughs> um, before the grandkids, yeah. right. The grandkids are getting a little older and yeah. like that, you know? And so it's, it's all of those kinds of things. And, um, and then they, they look around and they first look to their employees or family members. And maybe there's some there. I think that's, if there is a person there that is a, is a good fit, um, then that is usually the best, the best option. But a lot of times they aren't a good fit because again, they've been working on the business. So they haven't been kind of grooming that person. Right. Um, even if they're a great key employee, they only know, you know, certain slices of the business. Um, now also some, a lot of business owners, you know, we, we're all in that, that boat. We have a little bit too much hubris on our value to the business. They're like, well, nobody else could really do it like I do. <laughs> Uh, and, and most people don't want to admit that, um, admit that either. Well, so some of that's so required they, though, right. To be able to do the yeah. these jobs of small business owners, um, because there are ebbs and flows and they, and they do have to have enough self-efficacy to be able to take on things that no, they've it, never faced before. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I think it's the, it's the kind of person that makes somebody successful enough to get a business up to that size is the exact reason that they have trouble figuring out how to get out of that business. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Those skill sets. You have to, you can't get a business going if you're not going to work in it and on it. Um, but it's hard to make that, make that change or keep that balance right mm -hmm. for the new coming needs of the business. Yeah. yeah and I think sometimes they just, they, they get to a point where they're, they're just tired. They're ready to be done and move on too. So that, you know, sure. I had a friend recently say that you need to be an accommodating buyer. <laughs> So uh, we try to help them achieve their goals, which are uh, uh, kind of a hard break in a lot of cases of, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know how to undo it. I just want to move on. Like, mm -hmm. help me do that. So when you make acquisitions, are you, uh, what level of involvement do you expect from owners? I mean, do you, is this a clean break and you, they're gone or do you keep them engaged or is it kind of situational? Yeah. yeah I, I'd say it's been situational. Um, but the pattern that's starting to develop is um, such that they're really trying to move out um, on a fairly quick time horizon. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've got some scenarios that we would be very open, very, very open to the seller staying involved in an operational level mm -hmm. and kind of being an ops manager where we can take over the business side of it. Um, 
the problem with that is when we wind up doing things like price increases or yeah, so that's a hard uh, step. Change right? the capital structure, like they just get emotionally so like, oh, you're gonna lose customers. Yes. Like we're like, yeah, we might, but it's our risk. You, you know, yeah. take it easy, take the paycheck. Like, <laughs> we're gonna do this, and they just they can't hardly handle it themselves. Yeah. So. yeah. I think it's a hard thing to ask a, a, a business owner who has been engaged for you know decades to oh, uh, start taking a paycheck. It's super right. difficult. I mean, I sold a business. I I had a three year earnout and I didn't last a year and a half. And I was like, <laughs> I just can't handle it. Like they're making mistakes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. So, Mark, we talk with them about not you know being done at the business and what time frame they want to be done. We need their help, you know, a little bit for of transition mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But from the beginning, it's like, okay, we're part of the process here is to help you fade out. But we say fade out of this, of this business and onto your next adventure. And that could be starting another business or sometimes they have two and, you know, they're going to shed one to simplify their life and focus on the other one. Or it's that next, the next adventure is being grandma and grandpa or, it's, you right, know, right. spending more time on the golf course or volunteering with their church or, you know, whatever, whatever else it is, you know. And so, sure. we say, hey, look, we're we're part of enabling you to do that. You're going to have a little bit of capital to, you know, do some of those things with. But more importantly, you're going to have your time. We had a, a prospective business seller that uh, we didn't actually end up buying their business. But I thought what he said his goal was um, was was pretty great is he said he wanted to be not retired, but not required. Like he's like, I am required in this business. Yeah. It runs six days a week. And I'm, I'm yep. required to at least be on call six days a week. And yep. he's like, I just got to move out of that situation. I don't want to be done. You know, I got other things I want to do with life, but um, retirement doesn't sound very interesting to these kind of folks either, which is why I think they, they don't know they have an option. That's not like collect seashells or yeah. work 80 hours yeah. a week. Like, okay, there's a middle ground in here somewhere. Right. Um, let's, help, let's help you find it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, we had Mark, I mean, in terms of like required involvement, it's very low. I mean, that's one of the things that I think uh, is quite different from us is that the, the family member or an employee, I mean, a lot of times the seller looks at them and thinks, I just don't know if Junior can handle it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they look at an outsider and a lot of the uh, individual buyers, which would be their primary alternative, you know, through a broker or something are going to put a, a lot of debt on the business and a big earnout portion of it. Right. And they're going to ask for that seller to stick around for a few years. And we show up and we say, Hey, we've got the bulk of it in cash or all of it in cash. And you can be done and out of here in three months. And we just ask that we get a compelling price. That's connected to that. Yeah, right, right. If that doesn't make sense, then, you know, we're not a good fit. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to get, uh, you know, too deep into the weeds here, uh, but do you do you do earnouts typically with, no, with sellers no. or so not we, at all? We did our first what we called an earnout, but it was literally a one-month, like, okay. <laughs> earnout. So okay. I don't know, in, in the private equity land, that you would not consider that an earnout. It was more of a carrot that was yeah. uh, hanging out there to like close the loop on a couple of things sure. that were, uh, out there. So, so no, we haven't at all. Um, we do have some sellers that'll retain minority interest in the business. Oh, okay. Which I think is actually one of the coolest um, ways for them to be involved because, as Michael said, they they don't have any responsibility. They're not getting a paycheck. They're 
they're not like in the day-to-day grind anymore, but they get to be part of the board meetings. They get to come into situations where, you know, we don't necessarily know what we're doing and we can say that to them because they know what that's like as the owner, right? Ask them some questions. And then we get to a place where, you know, they ultimately say, well, it's your call. It's now your company, but that, that's a pretty exciting yeah. journey for them I, to kind of share yeah, with us. I could see that. That's actually, yeah, I think that's really cool. And sometimes that even that, that informally happens if they don't retain ownership too, but it, because it's yeah. fun to before buying the business, you know, they're like, well, what are you guys going to do with this? And yeah. as I always say, it's, it's no less than a financial transaction, right? Um, the price is important and the structure of that, of the payment and the things we were talking about before, but it's always more than a financial transaction. I think that's, I think that's true at any size of business, but it's especially true at these, at these really small businesses. And so it's actually been fun to like say, well, you know, we have some of these ideas. We don't really know, but we were thinking about this or investing in that or hiring in that way or whatever. And they're like, Oh man, I've thought about that for like five yeah. years, but, totally. but I don't know if I wasn't sure if I was ready. Like I've kind of, I've made two or three steps up with this business, but I just didn't know if I had a fourth one in me or ah, right. it seemed like that might be a seven year process. And I just didn't know. So I just kind of, you know, I kept that in my back pocket and never did anything with it. And they're like, I'd love to see that happen to this business. I think, yeah. you know, Sally over here would be great if given the opportunities to grow into that market or, you know, if we gave Joe these, you know, um, if we gave Joe more resources, I bet he could really sell, you know, into, into this or whatever. So right. That's, yeah. that's kind of fun when that, when that happens. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of, uh, Owners, I mean, as you get older, any of us, whether you own a business or not, right? The, as we uh, get closer to retirement, we become so risk adverse as well. And some of the things mm-hmm. you talk about, taking that business to the next level, requires a level of risk that somebody that's starting sure. to look forward to retirement, it's like it's not worth it, even if it does pan out, right? right. You know, I can't, I can't recover right. from this if I exactly you know, if the value chops in half or something. I right. can't recover from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Their time horizon is different. And- it all plays into it. Well, let's talk about the, the specific fund. Um, how many businesses have you purchased so far? Uh, we actually closed on our 12th uh, yesterday. Oh, congratulations. So, uh, <laughs> thanks. The press release isn't out yet, so I don't want to disclose the name, but okay. um, look forward to talking about that one in the future. Um, another bolt-on acquisition. So Okay. Uh, go, ahead and exp- go ahead and explain that, what the bolt-on acquisition is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're a we're a generalist, so we're not specific to a particular industry. Uh, we certainly have our circles of competency and things that we can evaluate more quickly. And certain things that you know, I don't know anything about medical devices or drug development. But there's no way I'm going anywhere close to something like that. But generally, um, we excel in service businesses and low tangible assets and so forth. Um, but Regarding the bolt-on, what we wind up uh, doing as a generalist is we wind up trying to build a, a bit of a diversified portfolio. So we've got a non-GMO seed corn company, uh, Spectrum non-GMO. Uh, we also have an auto glass business and a brewery, roll-off dumpsters, you know, and they're just very diverse kind of yes. set of businesses. Um, but the auto glass, the, that's a, an area that you know, it's difficult to bank because they don't have a lot of tangible fixed assets to, you know, financial buyers to lever up. Uh-huh. Um, but we've done some bolt-ons. So we bought Magic Glass first, uh, recently acquired Autoglass Express, which, you know, by the logistics, we could 
to create a density within a certain geography and so forth that uh, helps that business. Okay. Um, we did a roll-off dumpster business, uh, Recycle Guy, and then recently acquired Circle City Dumpsters. So similar kind of thing. Right. Um, similar kind of business. And the, pre- the pre- two previous owners had worked together in the past. So there was like ability to equipment to be used on either boxes and so forth. So, I mean, it was a pretty seamless kind of thing to put those together and really lower the overhead relative to the gross profit in the business. All right. It just kind of makes sense. And when you, when you, do you actually combine those entities then under a single name and a single entity or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the fund in those cases, um, the original acquisition for Magic Glass, we created an LLC called Magic Glass Holdings. We do an asset purchase of their their assets, uh, and then when we bought Auto Glass Express, we put cash into Magic Glass, uh, and then Magic Glass used some of its cash, a balance sheet, and the additional cash to go buy the next. Okay, the so next so the acquisition actually happened through that entity. Yep. Oh, yep. Perfect. So in that case, you know, we we squeeze squash together the names. Um, in other cases, like this acquisition yesterday, we're going to totally retain names and um, so forth and keep the brands because they both both matter in the marketplace. So it just kind of depends on the yeah. case by case that way. Sure. So, I mean, clearly industry agnostic. Um, geography, I mean, what are your what are the parameters um, that you're working within sure. if it's not within industry, yeah. really? I mean, what are, the, what are some of the other yeah. metrics you look at? Yeah, I mean... When we first started, um, we were covering a really wide geography and, you know, um, kind of Iowa to central Ohio, north, south into Michigan and Kentucky and looking at bigger businesses. And really what we found was the it's pretty competitive right now in the market for those bigger businesses. Yeah. And so we kind of moved down market into an area that was, you know, more difficult to access, but. I guess more difficult for others to access and fairly straightforward for Michael and I to access. And <clears throat> with that, uh, tightened up our geography. And right now we've re- literally been targeting businesses within a 90 mile radius of Lafayette, Indiana, um, with the expectation that if we treat people right, you know, conduct ourselves honorably, then, you know, words will spread and we'll get introductions to the next you know, layer of sellers that, um, you know, makes sense for us and them both. So it's been a really cool journey over the last couple of years yeah. to really do a lot of deals in a tight geography and just the ripple effect of the word yeah. mouth. It's been pretty extreme. I was just going to say, it's this, I mean, it's this network of, of small businesses that, that exists in, you know, in our, in our communities, right. And Fort Wayne's mm-hmm. no different. And I, I mean, I don't think any city is, is different, but especially in the Midwest here, yeah, um, it's it's not the the tentacles of, of a small business. So you can draw the boundary lines. You know, if you draw the boundary lines at the legal entity and who's a W two employee, you really haven't represented that business. It's you know, there's there's accountants and lawyers and and yeah, bankers and there's other other vendors, um, suppliers and stuff like that. And that's really um, that's really the web of of that. And so we're we're trying to, we think that's a beautiful thing. And so we're trying to use that or make our, make our fun, make our acquisition, you know, um, 
fit in, fit into that, and, fit into that world, yeah. serve that world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a world I hope doesn't go away. Um, you know, uh, and, and you know, of course, you guys know I travel quite a lot. Um, yeah. And one of the one of the opportunities that I often have when I go to some of these other communities is I get to talk to economic development people and I get to talk to you know chambers of commerce and such. And mm-hmm. I, I routinely mm-hmm. preach on the idea that it's small businesses that make community. And oh, there aren't there's not nearly enough attention paid. Um, to retaining those and, you know, the level of excitement that economic development people have anytime someone, you know, thinks about moving there. Um, it, it, Corporate it, headquarters or their yeah, yeah, factory. You know, they all like to brag about the 100,000 square foot, you know, building, shell building that they're building, hoping somebody will move there. Um, but they have no, they have limited connection with the small businesses that dot Main Street. And it's, uh, yep. you know, a point of frustration for me. And it's always a point of emphasis whenever I talk to them. It's like, you know, this is what makes community. And um, right. uh, the, the idea no, that... I, I totally... I was just going to say, the, the idea of uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition is underappreciated, understudied, um, underfunded. <laughs> and I think, you know, yeah. the next I revolution. Think, I don't know, just in my 15 years-ish that I've been kind of involved in the entrepreneurial space and stuff is that... Um, yeah, economic development folks, you know, the, the big wins are, are nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm glad when those, when those happen. Um, but, but talking but with them, I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's great that you landed a hundred million dollar company, but wouldn't you rather have 10, $10 million companies or, you know, five, $10 million companies yep. and, and, and then $51 million companies. Cause you know, they all don't pick up and move. That's at right. Once, right. Some of them are going to fail. That's right. And then I think in the last, you know, oh, at least five years for sure. Maybe maybe it's been a little longer than that. Um, economic development folks now are they're interested in startups, you know, and, and yes. supporting startups. And I think, you know, we've both been involved in the in the co-working movement and, yes. um, and stuff like that. And, and again, that's that's great. I really enjoy that. But that's seems to be the that's the kind of the new hot poster child uh, of. Yes of economic development efforts. So, okay, look, we care for small businesses. Like, hey, well, what about the existing ones that you already have yeah. um, that have customers and have payroll? How are you going to help them get into the next? So that's where we're really fascinated by this, the phrase you use, the entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, how do you help folks get into that? And yeah. that's a, I mean, that's a part of Little Engine 2 that we haven't talked about yet. We've talked a lot about the business sellers, but we run what we call our executive on deck program to get more people into um, business ownership and, bi- and a business ownership mindset in their jobs and into running small businesses. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So it's um, something we started about a year in, but we, I guess we, re- we put a name on it um, because we realized um, you know, that we had, people were approaching us. Um, I would tip them. It, it, it runs the gamut um, from recent college graduates to, you know, folks nearing the end of their career, but most of the folks reaching out to us were kind of mid-career, you know, mid-30s, mid-40s um, kind of executives that said, man, I, I heard what you little engine guys are doing, and you bought a couple of businesses, and like, who do you get to run these things? And what we had done prior, prior for our first few acquisitions was we just looked in our in our networks of, of energetic people that, you know, we thought maybe we'd be willing to make a change because what we don't do is buy a business and then put out a hiring sign and say, Hey, who wants to come run this thing for us? Um, right. And, and I think that's honestly though, that's how a lot of people 
um, do it. And especially as the businesses these size, this small, you don't have time to, you know, take six months to find somebody to run the business. And um, Daryl and I certainly don't want to, you know, hop in and have to do it. So we're pretty, we're pretty lazy. Um, <laughs> so we need somebody that's, uh, that's going to come in and if we're going to focus on, you know, buying a lot of businesses, then um, that's where we need to yeah. keep our expertise and, and stuff. So, so yeah, so we really kind of, we tried to invert the search process and say, okay, how can we find a great executive and then go find a business um, for them to run? So, um, and, and who would be, who would be a good fit now? It doesn't, it doesn't always, if I admit it, it doesn't always work quite exactly that perfectly yeah, sure. um, in the, in the timing, but that's the general thesis is that let's find the executives. One of our um, one of our investors, one of our limited partners said, you guys spend more time on effectively due diligence of the new manager than you do on the business. And they kind of <laughs> hit us and like, holy cow, yeah, you're right. We'll we'll take eight, 12 months to get to know um, our executives on deck before putting them um, into a business. Um, and we've closed the fastest from meeting the seller to wiring the funds was 45 days. Um, so um, that's, yeah. that's definitely a lot faster than um, and that, but our premise is you can buy a great business and you put the wrong person in there, you're, you know, the thing's going downhill fast. And so we've, right, we've right. got to really have a good partnership with, uh, with that, with that person. So. See, you said that 45 days is the fastest and I know that's quick for most deals, but, um, I had to hesitate a minute cause you know, I work in distress. <laughs> Uh, well, 45 true. days is a you're, lifetime you're, in my environment. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, actually, that's part of what people say, what kind of businesses are you looking for? I actually, yeah. I, I don't usually hand out your name a lot, Mark. Um, <laughs> I can do that if you want. Feel free. But because I, I say, because I, I say, well, you know, we don't do bankruptcies. We're not turnarounds like there. That's a very specific skill set. I would say we're looking for a business that's just kind of maybe stalled out, you know, has some growth, but we have a growth mindset yeah. for these businesses. Right. But, um, but yeah, no, we're, we're, oh man, I'm, I'm thankful we're, uh, we're, we're not, I'll leave that to, I'll leave that world to you, man. Yeah, more power to you. You don't know what fun is. If you don't, if you haven't closed the business in 72 <laughs> yeah. hours, you don't know what fun is. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll get a little more, let me get a few more notches, uh, on my belt and then, uh, um, then maybe we can do, maybe do one, we'll do one of those with you. Oh, Mark, when we, when we first met, I, I joke that, uh, I don't think I'd bought anything that wasn't a turnaround situation before Little Engine. And it's like, there is definitely value in that, but man, it is just brutal compared to like having positive rolling momentum in the, the going concern. And, well, I was going to say, in our world, though, that's what we, we talk about, uh, clock time and calendar time. So, yeah, you know, sure. it, can, uh, it can take a long amount of calendar time. We might meet an owner and then, you know, we're we're planting I hope, a lot of a lot of seeds for businesses that we we sure. first met a couple years ago, and we're gonna buy their business in four or five years, and they're just like, man, I like what you guys are doing. Um, I'm watching what you're doing, but I'm just not ready to be done yet. But when I am, I'm, it's good to know that you're around, right? Yeah. And and that's fine, you know. Maybe we'll ping them, you know, once or twice a year, just to hey, how's it going? How are things, you know? Or they'll reach out, or you know, again. In central Indiana is a fairly, you know, tight knit community, um, really. Sure. And so we'll bump into people or stuff like that and just like, all right, cool. But I don't have to spend, you know, I'm not spending every day talking to them for five years trying to get yeah. their, their small business. So, yeah, but you just got to be got to be really patient, which is why, it, you know, we can do that because of our long term, you know, investment mindset. We can also take a long a longer term calendar time. I just can't spend a lot of clock time 
you know, hours of my day in meetings mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Right. Right. So, I mean, talk to me about the longer term. I mean, is, is the idea um, mm-hmm. just to continue accumulating businesses and, you know, what's 10 years yeah. look like for you guys? Yeah, great question. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we were forming Little Engine and having discussions about what the, you know, kind of ideal structure and legal structure and so forth needed to look like, um, you know, I've, I've always believed that you should own and run a business like you never have to sell it. And in order to be able to do that, we needed to have kind of an alignment with our uh, investment partners. And so we actually have an evergreen structure. So we can own own these businesses indefinitely. And so when you ask about 10 years out, I mean, my hope would be that we either own a lot of small businesses that are uh, doing well. Uh, a handful of those are probably growing quickly and make up a decent chunk of our portfolio. Uh, but there's no, you know, harvest horizon. Um, really what we're trying okay. to do is, uh, like I say, I, I like to look up the mountainside and take a small stream of water and aim it towards my ranch <laughs> down at the bottom of the valley right. and just keep aiming all these different cash flow streams towards our, you know, reservoirs and use that to reallocate that cash flow into the next you know, dozen acquisitions. Sure. So, so the, uh, yeah. yeah. That works. That I works mean, from the fund standpoint. How does that work from the investor side? I mean, one of the keys yeah. to investors is they eventually want their money back. <laughs> sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> At least that's been so, my experience. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great question. <laughs> um, so, so we have 33 investors today, and uh, we do what I call spreading out the pain. Uh, so rather than harvesting all in like one big, you know, wall up and we sell everything. Uh, we revalue all of the businesses every year mm-hmm. and offer redemption at that that new established kind of mark to market price. And so that allows investor to kind of you know step in as they want to uh, and step out as they want to. Um, and then mm. certainly we just have to we have provisions for gating and so forth. So sure. we can't have a run on the bank scenario without me calling a timeout and saying, hold on. Right, right. You guys all want to squeeze out the door at the same time. I got to start selling stuff. Yeah. So. I see. So we've tried to provide a structure that is both sets up for long-term growth uh, in the business and growth in the in the value, um, so wealth being generated for for the partners, which Daryl and I are both um, have our own our own capital in that as well. Sure. Um, but at the same time, actually being more liquid than a traditional closed-end fund, or even in some aspects more it's liquid than business. their own than, than their own private single business, which is why I like. Some folks like, oh, man, you're really risky. You're investing in in all these little businesses and stuff like that. And this is where I love our investor base um, because they're all small business owners themselves. They get it. And so they're like, I can own multiple small businesses and be diversified. I'm used to 90 percent of my net worth being in one business, (laughs) you know. Um, yeah. and people looked at me like I was rich, but I wasn't sure if I could, you know, buy groceries next week cause I'm really illiquid. It depend, so, depended on the day, right? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I always say I much rather explain how the fund structure works, what carried interest is to a small business owner, yeah. um, than the reverse. I cannot explain how a small business works to a quote unquote professional money manager investor. 
Um, it just doesn't. That's <laughs> such well, a great maybe point. It's just, I just don't enjoy it. I just don't enjoy no, it. No, so that I is, enjoy that is a owners. phenomenal like, point, I'll talk though. I talk to them all day. Uh, great point. And so. I think, you know, uh, yeah, that's a, that's really interesting that you say that. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we've learned, we've learned that through a lot of trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, it's about skill sets and, and what they've become accustomed yeah. to. And, you know, people who work in finance, people who work in large publicly traded corporations oh, yeah. don't begin to understand the dynamics of small business. Right. Yeah. It's not right or wrong. It's just, again, like Daryl says, circle of competency. So yeah, absolutely. What I, what, I, what I enjoy, too, once we got that focus and kind of realized, okay, this is what we're good at. Let's not try to be something that we're not. I And so now I can joke that, I spend most of my days talking to 60 plus year old dudes um, and I love it. I never would have thought this, you know, being a techie guy coming out of college and all these things. But I'm like, if they've been, you know, pretty successful um, with their small business, then we're talking about, okay, should little engine be the home for your small business next? And if they've been really successful with their small business, like got it, you know, hundred plus employees or like that, then I'm like, okay, here's how this works. You probably you've sold or, um, you, you know, you've just got extra owner earnings that you're not sure what to do with. And you're like, investing in the stock market seems kind of ridiculous, you know, but I also don't want to, you know, go out and buy my own next small business. So like, here's how an investment in little engine would work. Um, and so I, I say, I meet, yeah. I meet some of these folks and I think I have them in one category and then I realize, Oh, wait, I need yeah. to, I need to switch you into a, you know, into a different mode with you, but it's all still fundamentally the same type of person that we're dealing with that knows and loves small businesses and sure. gets Indiana and customers and taking care of customers, taking care of employees and right. those kinds of things. Will you, um, will you sell an individual firm out of the portfolio and what would be the catalyst for yeah. that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, as an owner of any property, you reserve the right to you know sell it. So we certainly, you know, communicate that with the business seller and structure to be able to, to sell businesses. Um, we've only been at it three years. And I, I like to say that our, a lot of our investment uh, ideas when we go into a business is to, you know, make some uh, small changes or big changes to you know, set it on a course that it's going to take three to five years to realize that. Um, and then in that three to five year window, we can evaluate whether realizing the full you know, gain on our investment should be accomplished with a sale or should it be accomplished with, you know, a change of uh, thesis going forward? Mm -hmm. like, do we want to take a growth business and put it in cash flow, you know, category or whatever? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we could. I mean, we've got, um, as a generalist too, like we bought a, a real estate property and uh, we've got that property leased up now. And, uh, you know, our cap rate versus our cost to, to get into it is something like 27%. Uh -huh. So uh, real estate right now is selling in our market, you know, on a five to 7% yeah. cap rate. So I'm a little bit like, uh, why would we hold this thing unless we can like lever it up and, you know, use that crazy right. to go somewhere else. Right. But, but even then like that, at that rate, it's still kind of a interesting thing. So we've got some real estate with fully leased, if you if you're interested mark <laughs> <laughs> i'm not you know i don't do well with real estate i've never done well with real estate <clears throat> i think i think over my considerable career i can look back and say on the business front um the places where i've done the worst have been associated with real estate yeah yeah i 
I don't know. I kind of, growing up on the farm, I mean, real estate and farming is like hand in hand. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's 90% real estate, you know, appreciation and 10% operating, you know, efficiency. Um, so you've got to like be able to buy property, right. And manage it right. And, you know, never sell it to be a good farmer. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but I think there's, I learned along the way as I, um, started meeting a lot of different business owners and farmers across the country that, you know, some really shrewd, uh, real estate people and the principles are pretty straightforward in terms of getting it bought at a compelling price, you know, getting the, the income driven properly and, yeah. you know, turn around and selling it and having a portion of your portfolio that you do intend to sell. So, so I don't know. We, we're not a real estate well, expert. And then partially it's because our, our hurdle rate, um, in order for us to do a deal is so significant that just real estate hardly ever crosses that line. But this particular right. building was uh, loaded with trash. I mean, the interior was just completely chock full of trash. And the seller uh, just wanted to unload it. It was like a third generation family that had it and just wanted to kind of clean up their balance sheet or whatever. Yeah. It was insignificant for them and kind of interesting for us. And so. Yeah, we're able to get so, cleaned up and leased. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's actually something when we talk to business owners or brokers like that, they're, a lot of them are surprised that we don't want the real estate. But like Daryl said, it, there's those financial reasons, but it's also, again, just like circle of competency and being able to focus. Yeah. Like there's folks that do real estate better than us. So we'll let them do it. And we're just like, hey, we're going to have a great operating business. Wouldn't you like to have a tenant that, you know, can pay their rent on time and uh, is growing and – yeah. Um, and things like that. And so we can, you know, work out a deal with a, if an owner does, you know, own it. And we've done that before where they were going to sell the whole thing and they're like, oh, well, I still get to simplify my world and I get to take a little cash off the table from the operating business. Yeah, sure. I'll hold on to the real estate. And, sure. you know, I'm excited about what you guys are doing. So I'll own the building um, that, that you guys are going to operate my business, my business in you know, those kinds of situations. But Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. As far as your 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 question, your original question of kind of like when to when to sell, there's all those financial reasons, um, and I think it's but it's also too. It's like where's the next, you know, where's the home for this business best, right? And we think that can be little engine for a long time and sure. through a lot of a lot of growth. I I joke with people. Well, the little engine name means a lot of things. Um, one, both Daryl and I have fairly young kids, and naming a fund after you know a children's book. Um, is is kind of cool. Well, of course, um, that was going to be my next question. Anyway, we're going to get into that dialogue <laughs> about uh, how the name came about. So, yeah, yeah. Well, the name's all all Daryl's idea, but when I first heard it, I, I, I love this. But I mean, that the children's book. Yeah, you know, if you if you of haven't course. read it in a while, Mark. Um, <laughs> yeah, is you know optimism, <laughs> hard work, being willing to do things that you know other people don't want to do, and that's what I think a lot of these small businesses. It's a mindset that small business owners, you know talk yes. about you know, i'll take i take out the trash right i'm chief bottle yeah. washer that's what, i do anything here that yeah. needs to be done yeah I, th- I think the other thing just if we're going to go into the name now mark yeah please back to your other question yeah. but yeah. <laughs> the other big thing is like the massive mistakes that i've made in my past um were generally where my pride got ahead of me and i was like oh i can do no wrong like you know i've, <laughs> I've had a dairy farm and built a dairy farm from scratch and this is like in my twenties, a lot of debt, like the market crashed, like it was just a disaster. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars uh-huh. and, uh, I wanted to create a name that would kind of smack me in the face every day <laughs> because I had to say like, 
hey, in the story, there's these like big puffed up engines that, you know, oh, I'm too big and important for that. You know, I'm just going to move on. You know, I can't handle that. Or, you know, I'm too shiny to carry these toys over the mountain or whatever. So uh, I think there's an aspect of um, humbleness that needs that I need to hear on a regular basis. Um, yeah. The other part that I like to say is if, if it is massively successful or, or blessed in that way, you know, 40 years from now or whatever, it'll be a hilarious joke. So I'm just setting well, up a 40 year joke. I, I think the name instantly harkens up all the images that you just talked about. And I think it's, you know, it's the hallmark of a great yeah. name for anything, right? Yeah. If, if the imagery well, thank you. immediately yes. reflects exactly what's behind it. I think anybody that. What, what we're about sees that can see yeah that there's um, that that degree of optimism and that uh, the humbleness that you talk about too and is there yeah. is there a uh, so, purdue connection at all with the boilermakers and the it's a bit of an homage yeah daryl and i are both <laughs> uh, alumni uh, of purdue and so yeah there's a there's Absolutely. a bit of an homage there nice uh, there's, there's a lot of without breaking any cheap. copyright infringement or yeah of course now. yeah <laughs> there's a lot of train imagery that's also, you know, inexpensive in our marketplace to decorate our office with. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that never hurts, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. But, oh, I, I got us off on that bunny trail of the name because what I was going to say is the part of what also the little engine name means is we are, we're buying, we're acquiring these little engines of economic activity, right? As these small businesses, mm -hmm. yep. we don't need them half them to stay small you know again we're trying to bring some of this growth mindset um to kind of revive some life into some of these businesses or just take them to the next step um next level of where where they've been and so um yeah if something gets bigger then it's more likely to be you know if it gets over 20 million up to maybe 50 million in revenue which we don't have yet but if we get something up that size then all of a sudden it does become very attractive to larger private equity or a strategic player in a certain sure. industry to right. you know start to own and so like that so yeah like Joe said we reserve the right to do those things but hopefully we're also it'll be the thing where we say yeah the next best home for this business is not little engine um you know other folks are better at running you know hundreds of millions of dollar company and is mm -hmm. that something we want to get good at we reserve the right to say yeah we want to get good at that they're <laughs> right. all probably I'm I'm definitely like I'd like to own three or four of these that turn into multiple billion dollar companies. It's kind of my uh, yeah. private daydream that I just shared on the podcast. But, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think there's a as Michael said. I mean, it's there's different phases in economics for that. But I mean, the ideal business doesn't get uh, doesn't put us in a situation where we're where we're a selling it, seller. Uh, a force seller. So mm -hmm. um, good. There's certainly be my situations that, you know, they can they can pry it from our hands. There is a way to do that. Of course. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> and that's what that would be my advice to any small business owner out there is just don't, I mean, you know, don't be in a situation where you're where you're a forced seller. I mean, again, the most forced seller is the kind of folks that you're dealing with. Right, Mark? Um, yes. Some the court or somebody is making them, you know, liquidate this yes. business. And, um you know, you're you're there for them through that to guide them and be make it as good as possible. Um, but if they can prevent that, then um, they can leave on their terms and yes. at their speed and and those kinds of things. And and I think what you know, my first business in a software firm. I just wrote another blog post on our on our blog um, about where I told retold some of some of this story too. Is that there was a time 
Delmar, my software firm, where I was like, I got to get out of this thing. Like it was, it was for good quote unquote, good reasons. It was growing, but you know, I enjoyed doing a little bit of everything and my partner, you know, he was involved with a little bit of everything, but, um, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was doing anything well. And I'm like, I got to get out, but I can't even like quit because now like there's a couple, there's a few other families that depend on this. And, uh, you know, my clients, if I don't finish these projects and stuff, then their businesses are going to suffer. And so I can't even just quit and go quote unquote, get a real job. And so what am I going to do with this thing? Who will buy this thing? Who will take it over from me? I'm like, no one will take this thing because it all depends on me. And so I was like, okay, I'll get this thing in a spot so I can sell it. And then I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll figure it out then. A couple years of that process. And then I get to where like, okay, I think somebody could take this over and run it without me. I could sell it to an employee, even if, you know, a seller's note kind of a thing that we were talking about. Right. I'm like, yeah. hey, wait, this isn't that bad of a business now. I kind of actually <laughs> like life. Um, I don't need to sell this thing. Yeah. Um, and so I've turned away some offers that are admittedly like, above the you know the book value there or they're way above you know what it really is worth like no but it's worth more than that to me right yeah it may be irrational it may be you know other things but hey that's my right as one of the owners of the business without question me and my partner don't don't want to sell it then we don't have to that's right whatever reasons we think are right and i think that's a that's a great position for any small business owner to be in yeah i i certainly agree with that um yeah I like to be more rational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, you know, that's why you guys are working well together, right? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. you have those perspectives. Thanks, Mark. I think Michael's the irrational one, and Daryl's the rational one. Well, I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, that one later. I didn't want to come straight out and say that, but. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I would say Michael is quite rational, but it's good to kind of poke him. <laughs> I like to just say, <laughs> I, I consider my ration, my rational thought considers other things just than purely the, uh, the economics uh, only. The spreadsheet, uh, the well, spreadsheet aspect. Well, I mean, it brings it back to small business. Yeah. Though, That's right? not fair and to that, Daryl either, though. So. The, um, <laughs> the non-financial objectives right. that come into play in small business yeah. that, that don't exist in many other areas of the market. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, just, uh, yeah. There's, there's so many things, though, and it's just like a lot of times the, I think Michael and I both, uh, enjoy this and it's part of what makes this so fun it's just the the creativity to imagine a, a future state and then like put the action behind it to work toward that so you know if michael said oh i don't want to sell this because i enjoy it now it's like well maybe spend a little bit of energy imagining a world where you could enjoy another business or yeah. two businesses right. or whatever and that that sort of experience is something that yeah, some small business owners probably are at a state of life that if they would imagine a, uh, a passive investment of a couple of businesses, it would, would totally blow their mind of like, this is so much fun and I get to do the parts I like and yeah. avoid the employee crap that I don't like or whatever <laughs> you know, situation. So yeah, lots of different ways to kind of approach that. So it's a wow. multifaceted problem for sure. Yes. All right. Well guys, uh, it's been a great Great day. I've enjoyed just talking with you very much. Our guests today have been Daryl Starr and Michael Berger from Little Engine Ventures. If people want more information, where should they go? Uh, our website would be a good place to start. It's www.lev, as in Little Engine Ventures, dot VC, Venture Capital. So 
Great. So yeah, come check us out. LEV.VC. I know there's uh, some blog posts on there, some interesting reading, and a lot more about uh, both the uh, acquisition side and the investor side on, on your website. So I would encourage anybody to go check that out. Um, For sure. Yeah. You guys, I think you have a great model. I, I know I've shared that with you before. Um, love to see the interest and investment in small business, and yeah. I wish you continued good luck. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it, man. Thank, yeah. Thanks for being here, and thank you all for taking time to listen to Your Business Matters. We'll be back real soon, and we'll talk more about Your Business Matters.